Raja Pinks. You are listening to Behind the Lens. And yes, indeed, you are listening to Behind the Lens. Welcome to yet another week. Uh, we're starting a new month again. It's now March. And wait a minute, Brian, why can't I hear myself in my headset now? The joys of live. I don't hear you either. Uh, you, now I hear you. You can hear me, but yeah. you can't hear yourself? Can't hear me. Okay, hang on. That's okay. Is that better? Well, no, not really, but I can keep talking. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You're coming through here. Okay. So, as I said, welcome to another week of Behind the Lens. And yes, if there's any doubt, we are live, as usual, coming from beautiful downtown Whittier, California. Um, I'm Debbie Elias, creator and host of Behind the Lens. Uh, many of you know me from 29 years of movie reviews and interviews that you can find in print and online in the U.S. and abroad. And But every Monday, you can find me right here on AdrenalineRadio.com with Behind the Lens. And it is, it is a thrill to start, kick off yet another month. Of course, we've got, we have some, a great news announcement this morning and then one that we're trying to get verification on. First big announcement for all of our classic film fans out there, the upcoming TCM Film Festival. It was just announced this morning, perhaps an hour ago, that for the very first time in the history of the hand and footprint ceremonies at the Chinese theater. There will be a father and son pairing with hand and footprint. It will be Carl Reiner and Rob Reiner will be immortalized together at the Chinese, uh, in the courtyard at the Chinese theater on Friday, April 7th. Yes. Thank you, Brian. You know, every, every year TCM film festival does something wonderful showing something of Carl Reiner's. Last year, Carl himself was there doing introductions to some of his films, as well as autographing and hawking his latest book. Um, he is a joy to behold, and of course, Rob Reiner, equally so. So this is going to be a very special event in Hollywood on, on Friday, April 7th, during TCM Film Festival. So for all you t- my TCM peeps and, fes- and fellow festgoers out there, Mark your calendar. You definitely want to get up bright and early to see that ceremony. The other bit of new TCM news we're trying to confirm now um, that there is a rumor that our beloved Robert Osborne passed away this morning, uh, the longtime host and face of TCM. As I said, we haven't found verification as yet. I have reached out to several of my TCM contacts, and if we get word during the show, we will let you know live um, if this is a rumor or you know if this is true. Variety just posted about it. Variety just posted, Brian? Yeah, there's an article stating that he did pass away at 84. So wow. The news outlets are probably, because you and I were speculating that maybe it was just a hoax earlier before the program started, but it seems like there's, a, this was posted two minutes ago. So Okay, because the, the only posting that was made early this morning was Robert Osborne's good friend, Michael Feinstein, posted about it. Um, so we have been trying to verify in the past, you know, 30 minutes since we first got word. And, okay, if Variety is posting about it... Um, Chances are it is sadly very true. Robert Osborne is an amazing man, and he was an amazing man. I have, I had the pleasure to interview him on multiple occasions over the years. Many of you have heard one of his dearest friends, Carol Cook, on our show every year 
talking about Bob. And uh, he was the best man at her wedding and a lifelong friend. So I know that Carol and so many of Robert's other friends are feeling a great loss this morning uh, with his passing. If I, we get any other information during the call, the, during uh, to the course of today's broadcast, uh, even though we have two spectacular guests, we will interrupt because TCM is such a vital and important part of so many of our listeners and for me personally, uh, and especially Robert. So this is this is um, a great deal of sadness on this first day, on this first Monday in March. Um, again. Robert Osborne has died at the age of 84 years old. We knew he had been ill for a couple years. Um, he missed the last two TCM film festivals, but nobody was really sure, uh, especially after Debbie Reynolds' passing. And he did go on camera and give an interview about her uh, to a station in New York. So, again... Robert Oswald. Oh, Brian, do you have Hollywood a- reporters posting about it now? Too. Hollywood reporters posting also. Yeah, so it's starting. It's starting to kind of pick up. Yeah, seems like it might be a. Oh, there's another. Well, that's Fox News. Also. Everybody's reporting it. Yeah. So, so pick up. All right, that is perhaps the saddest. The saddest announcement we have ever made on Behind the Lens. Robert Osborne has passed away at the age of 84. Um, I will have more on my website, MovieSharkDeBlore.com later today and this evening about it. But in the meantime, you know, I would, I would suggest anybody go to Twitter, um, check out, you know, TCM, the TCM feed, go to Facebook, check it out, check out the classic film feeds, uh, or hashtag TCM party. So many of the regular TCM fest goers and fans, I'm sure will be, uh, talking about this on social media all day today. So, as we move into something a little happier, let's let's talk about our guests that we have live today. Um, today is all about, you know, what is today's film? Cut to the chase. We're going to cut to the chase today uh, with actor Patrick Day and writer, director, and actor Blaine Weaver. I'm v- I'm very excited to have Blaine joining us today. Um, I don't know if if Blaine remembers, but he had a film called Weather Girl back in 2009. It debuted at Sundance and then went to L.A. Film Festival. And I had the pleasure of screening it, reviewing it, and it made my annual L.A. Film Festival, must-see festival films, opening day column. So it's going to be a real thrill to talk to Blaine and his journey since 2009 and now with this very fun action film, really, uh, called Cut to the Chase. Uh, and we're going to talk to him about writing, directing, and of course directing himself in the lead role as Max Chase. Uh, Patrick Day has the good fortune of playing an enforcer in the film named Travis, and he's enforcer for uh, the he- a local mobster called The Man, who is played by the legendary Lance Henriksen. Uh, we were trying to get Lance on the show today, but logistically it didn't work out. So, but we're going to let Patrick and Blaine talk all about, and our regular listeners know Lance has already been on the show, I believe last year, uh, in the spring, he was on for another film that, uh, he was in and promoting at the time. So we'll get him back here, but 
You know, last week we heard from Mike Mendez talking about the new wonderful, wonderful, quote unquote, horror film, Don't Kill It, with Dolph Lundgren starring as a demon hunter. Because Dolph was traveling from filming in Utah to Los Angeles to do interviews live uh, last Tuesday, he was unavailable to call in. But I got to sit down with him and Mike in person for an exclusive interview on last Tuesday. And of course, as promised, I chatted with Dolph about Don't Kill It and other things. But we started talking about how does Dolph Lundgren end up becoming a demon hunter? The past few years, mm-hmm. you've been doing these small indie films, yeah. like Skin Trade, yeah. which I thought was so well done. Thank you. An important subject matter. Thanks. You know, Safe House. Yeah. Yeah, things like that. Mm. So I have really enjoyed seeing, you know, seeing all of those. But now, now we get Dolph Lundgren, Demon Hunter. Yeah. How, how does Dolph Lundgren go, become a Demon Hunter? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess he read, read a script that thought it was, thought it was fun, and uh, it was just about a guy who talks a lot. And, uh, you know, normally as you're an action star, you read all this dialogue, and you go, okay, how can I cut some of this up? But then you realize, no, it's actually kind of good, and it's fun. And uh, and the whole story was, was entertaining. And I met Mike, and Mike uh, saw his movies, and I thought, wow, this would be great. It's something different for me. And it turned out to be a good choice. It's been a lot of fun. And it sort of changed a little bit. My career has sort of changed, started changing a little bit into, you know, more characterizations and things like that. And, you know, some of my movies now. And I think this was almost like the first one that I did. There have been a number of them now. I did a little bit on Arrow. There's some other stuff coming up and so forth. Yeah. But, you know, you're getting to the point. You're only a year older than me, so. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, and I'm 58. I'm 58. We're still young, yeah. but still. Yeah. It's a little hard on the body to keep doing. That's true. All the action stuff that you have, at the pace you've been doing it for decades. Yeah. Well, also, when I started, you know, you, we did it all ourselves. I mean, Sly and I did all the fighting. We, yeah. We didn't know any doubles. And, you know, Even Statham is going for doubles now. Yeah. So, you know. So, yeah, you have to be a little more careful. And also, it's fun to, to try something different. And, um, yeah, I do feel like maybe slowly I'm sort of moving a little bit into that genre. But, you know, enjoying to create characters and, you know, do something different. Maybe that'll, that aren't, you know, maybe it's a bit unexpected to some people. So, um, We'll go back, come back to more of my exclusive with Dolph. Uh, TCM has just released an official statement on the passing of Robert Osborne. And I just want to read it to you for all of our listeners. All of us at Turner Classic Movies are deeply saddened by the death of Robert Osborne. Robert was a beloved member of the Turner family for more than 23 years. He joined us as an expert on classic film and grew to be our cherished colleague and esteemed ambassador for TCM. Robert was embraced by devoted fans who saw him as a trusted expert and friend. His calming presence, gentlemanly style, encyclopedic knowledge of film history, fervent support for film preservation, and highly personal interviewing style all combined to make him a truly world-class host. Robert's contributions were fundamental in shaping TCM into what it is today, and we owe him a debt of gratitude that can never be repaid. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family and friends at this time. And uh, general manager of TCM, Jennifer Dorian, issued that statement. So there will be more coming out, I'm sure, during the day on the passing of Robert Osborne. So, um, and again, 
our thoughts from behind the lens and from me personally uh, to, to Robert's family and friends um, are with you in this very difficult time. You know, Brian, let's take a, a short commercial break right now, and then we'll come back into our regular programming. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, and we're getting ready, as as you heard earlier in the program, um, it was just, we broke the news at the top of the show, Robert Osborne, uh, the ambassador of TCM, film historian, has passed away at the age of 84 this morning. Um, we're going to try and go on in an upbeat manner now. And I am, I am so thrilled to have joining me today the fabulous Patrick Day. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Debbie. Nice to hear your voice. Oh, so good to hear yours. And, and thank you so much for joining us. You know, I'm counting on you and Blaine today to pick up the spirits of all our listeners after our very sad news that we got less than an hour ago that Robert Osborne of TCM passed away. Yes, ma'am. I just heard that myself. It's very sad news. Uh, for, I mean, anybody in the film industry is, is affected by that loss. Yep. Yeah. What a host, right? I'll tell you. And one of, and a true gentleman in every respect of the word. Absolutely. We could use more of that in our world today. We sure could. But, you know, what we, can, what we can also use more of is seeing more of you on screen in roles like that of Travis in Cut to the Chase. This is actually, this is a fun film, Patrick. Yes, we had a, a, a wonderful time doing it. Of course, having the opportunity to work with Blaine was also wonderful as well. Our second time to kind of be behind the lens, so to speak, and uh, and we had a great time shooting. Well, you know, you've had a very storied career as an actor, starting with small little roles, going back to the days of designing women. <laughs> I mean, your face has popped up all along the way, I think more in television than in film. Periodically, yes. You'll, you'll see me popping up around, yeah. Um I, uh, I guess I got my start with um, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn many, many, many moons ago for PBS. And that has, now, and that has led you now to being an enforcer to, Lan, to Lance Henriksen. <laughs> exactly. Thankfully. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's quite a journey to, <laughs> to go on. Yes. From a beloved Mark, adaptation of a Mark Twain book. To being an enforcer for Lance Henriksen. To being the muscle for Lance Henriksen, yes, absolutely. Yeah, but, you know, the character that Lance plays in Cut to the Chase, because he actually, he's a very gentlemanly criminal. He doesn't get his his hands dirty. He's always dressed very nice. You know, he had that lovely scarf around his neck for, you know, looking very debonair for part of the film. (laughs) <laughs> and you get to be get beat up and get bloodied. That's right. I'm sent out to take care of the dirty work, and he tends to keep his hands clean, so to speak. You know what? How did this script come to you? Because this this is a very substantial role for you. Oh, it was so fun! Yeah, uh, I got a call early on in the year before we shot, and Blaine had you know requested to see if if I would be available to to work on this film in Shreveport, and. Um, 
you know, obviously when I get a call from Blaine, I'm like, yes, absolutely, let's chat about it. And uh, we did shoot in his home state, his home city in Shreveport, and it was such, just such a joy to fly out there and meet the people. I mean, I can't say enough nice things about Shreveport, Louisiana. Just a joy. I, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, so for me to go to a small southern town to shoot a movie is just, you know, one of those bucket list things that I love to do. That, it's like going back home, but on really good terms and not dealing with your family. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, what, what do you look for? With a part, because this is different than other roles in, that you've had. You know, it is, and i got to be honest with you, to, to be able to play the muscle in a, in a movie like this is wonderful, to be given that opportunity. There was some discussion early on as to whether, because Blaine and I have worked up Paul Osborne's last feature, Favor, mm-hmm. and it was a much different role that, that I played, but uh, we were, um, when this came about, to be offered an opportunity to play the muscle was something I'd always wanted to do. And, you know, the script, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but uh, there were some certain things within the script that really piqued my interest rather than being a guy who runs around and beats people up. Well, and that, that's one of the great things I loved about your character, and not just yours, but Luke Sexton's role as well. I mean, there's a lot more than meets the eye here, and then... Blaine does a beautiful job of setting us up with twists and turns that you, you don't see coming. That's what we were hoping. Yeah, I, I think it cut together really well, and the audiences have um, been very responsive to what was going on, at least on the festival circuit. We drop on iTunes, um, and we'll see what the national world thinks about that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was it's, it's fascinating. And to, to show up to set and be... In that environment, you know, you're not just selling it. You're actually in Shreveport in these rivers and swamps and this heat and mosquitoes and all that really adds to the flavor of the film, but also is wonderful as an actor to be able to be a part of that if you're not locked away just in a soundstage. So now what time of year were you filming this? We shot midsummer. Oh. And sticky. Oh, weren't you lucky? You know, it's funny. I talked to Simeon Rice a couple years ago. He made his directing debut, and he shot down around the Shreveport and area as well. And mm-hmm. he said, and even though he had played football down in Florida, and, but he was in Florida, Shreveport, shooting this film in the woods and the swamps. And he said he had never been around bugs that big. <laughs> and it was yeah. And it was in the middle of summer. I will never forget, we were doing one of the night shoots, and we're out near a swamp and looking up at the lights, and it was basically a suicide light for the bugs. We, when we struck the light by morning, you know, sun came up, there was a mound of dead moths and mosquitoes that had flown into the light and <laughs> juiced themselves. We were like, hey, maybe that could be craft service for breakfast on a really, really low-budget feature. You know? Okay, wasn't, wasn't this low enough of a budget? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not that terribly low, though. That we were not eating bugs. They they took very good care of us. Oh my god! Well, you know, and I'm glad that you mentioned that that you were shooting night scenes because so often anymore, a lot of filmmakers they'll actually do like day for night as opposed to actually striking a you know shooting at night. And you know, have you found that to be, you know, is that becoming more and more commonplace now to actually be shooting night for night, day for day? In the roles that I, you've taken? I, I will tell you that 
<clears throat> night shoots are great until like about 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start going, you get so dizzy and, and, you know, but it worked, like I said, for this film because again, no spoiler uh, alerts here, but when we're chasing him, it is the middle of the night. So you do get a little groggy and wiped out at that. <laughs> but you know, but, uh, at, at that point, while you're all in engaged in this chase and going after Blaine's character, of called Max Chase, um, you know everybody is. You're all just you're punch drunk at that point because you've yeah. all you've all been beating up on each other for a few scenes already, right? And then you know, it's day obviously it's the humidity of Shreveport and the heat, and then once the sun sets, I'm not going to say it's cold, but that's when the precipitation comes in, and you know, after being hot all day, then you're freezing cold and. You know, it's uh, what you were wearing in the sun when you were chasing Max Chase around and trying to beat him up. And then you're wearing that same costume at night. And now you're like, hey, I wish I would have worn a little more layers in the afternoon. So. Oh, my God. So, you know, how it's a dream of so many actors to get to work with a veteran like Lance Henriksen. And you have some really powerful scenes with him. What is that experience like for you as an actor? It's wonderful, you know. You're you're sitting there <clears throat> going up to face somebody that you've seen, at least for me, growing up my whole life. And um, I can't say enough nice things about him. He was so professional, and so kind, and open to everybody, and rolled with the punches. And you know, even on some of those longer days, he, uh, you know, just just wonderful to be a part of basically history, you know, filmmaking history. Mm-hmm. And. Um, he just—he's just a joy to work with. Well, you know, something that makes you a particular joy is—are—are are you still the director of the Young Actors Space? Yes, ma'am. My talk, school here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about this. Is an amazing, amazing project that you do. An amazing school. Please talk about this because there are so many young actors out there that should be going to your school. Oh, it's very kind. Yeah, we we feel blessed to do um, what we do every day at Young Actors Space. Um, matter of fact, we just had another one of our alumni was an Oscar winner, Emma Stone. Uh, just picked up her first Oscar a couple weeks ago, or last week, I guess. It mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the school has been around since 1979. I was fortunate enough to get right out of college and took over in 2008. We've just had just a been very lucky with our list of alumni who have come through the doors. It's a very supportive place, and I couldn't do what I do there every day without my partner in crime there, Nora Eckstein, and and the people that I work with um, at Young Actors Space. It's um, it's it's just a joy. It never really feels like work. So now, is this like a full time school or just acting school? You know, give give the listeners a little more info here for. For all of these um, uh, parents and future actors. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Um, we teach ages five through adult. As a matter of fact, I've got two pretty booming adult classes right now. Um, and, you know, it's half improv and half scene study. Mm-hmm. And our goal is to make the improvisations look like they're written and to make the written word look like it is an improv. So that's sort of our goal. Of what we do there every day, and you know, because we're in in Los Angeles in Sherman Oaks, uh, Young Actors Space has 
been fortunate enough, like I said, to have some people that you've seen on television and features as well as now we have kids that come back that are doctors or lawyers, and they say, you know, they're really appreciative of the time they've spent at Young Actors. Well, didn't Shailene Woodley spend time with you as well? She certainly did, yes. Yes. And how wonderful how her career has taken off. You know, that's, I think it's a testament to your school. Uh, you know, when you see an Oscar-winning Emma Stone come out of there, Shailene Woodley come out of there, and I've had the good fortune of, of interviewing both of them early in their careers and as they progressed. And they have... You know how wonderful they are, you know. And they have great grounding. Yes, ma'am. Yep. They really do. That's something that I think is so important for actors now that they need grounding. I mean, I know so, so many actors that are still in their late 20s and their 30s and they're struggling. But you listen to them and they're, they have no grounding to what they're looking for or how the business works, or what performance is all about. And personally, having experienced some of your your former students, that definitely is being taught to them, you know, by by your school. Well, you are warming the cuckolds of my heart when you say that, because that's certainly what we try to do on a day-to-day basis. But I, I will tell you, you know, the, the two aforementioned that you did talk about, they... They were beautiful people when they showed up, you know. Shay was, I think, 12 when she first came to the space, and she was just just a wonderful, wonderful soul, and, you know, her parents are wonderful. But the same thing with, well, she was Emily at the time when Emma Stone came to the space. She just, just good, good people, you know, and I, I feel good people survived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, I'm, you mentioned the whole idea of improv and the actual written text for a film like cut to the chase. How much do you as an actor, especially with action sequencing involved, how much of this was on the page and how much uh, improvisation did Blaine let you have? You know, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, I think Blaine would have allowed us to improv back and forth. Uh, had we wanted to, but what we had on the page was so good. I like to show up and give a director or a writer their first pass as written to mm-hmm. try to sell it out. And then if there is time, then feel free to improvise around. But obviously being on set, you're always improvising because you may learn it a certain way and have certain ideals in your head, but then you show up on set and it's going to change based on the environment, who's around the camera, how much movement you have. So... Although with the fight sequences, you know, Luke, as you'd mentioned, was wonderful and, and uh, had choreographed some really wonderful stunts for us. And he had sent me a link to Shreveport while they were shooting while I was out here in L.A. So I had an idea of what I was getting into, but then the practicality of it, once you get on set, is going to Mm-hmm. And um, so we, went, we didn't, I don't know how much dialogue was improvised this movie that he kept, I think it was pretty much on the page and we went with what he had. So it was right. more the actual physical performance had more improvisation to it. Absolutely. You know, bringing in the room and that, that great bar that they had um, that fight, for that fight scene that you see at the end. Uh, you know, you're, you're limited often 
with locations. But luckily, we were in Shreveport and such a wonderful city to shoot in because they just opened the doors and they're so excited you're there. Now, when you're in L.A., sometimes you're fighting with the neighbor across the street who won't turn down their music. And, but you go shoot a movie on location and people are like, hey, we're so glad you're here. How can we help? <laughs> Yeah, I see it all the time because I, I'm based in Culver City, and, you know, Sony's right there. Um, but there's a bar, the backstage bar, that is used quite often for filming purposes. And, you know, you mentioned about problems with neighbors and all. It is always because it falls into a residential area. It becomes a problem when shooting locally here in Los Angeles with people. It's the neighbors that... You know, they don't want trucks parking in front of their house or they're making noise, so it's interrupting the shoot, and it, it does become problematic at times. It certainly does. I mean, you know, out of respect for your neighbor, you want to be cool about it, but at the same time, you figure most people in L.A. are at least in industry and familiar with it. So uh, I remember years ago we were working on a film with my friend Adam Carl, and uh, it was a low-budget film we were shooting at one of somebody's apartment, one of his friend's apartment. And the neighbor music up every time we get rolling. Mm-hmm. He wanted us to give her dollars to turn down music, basically. Oh, God. <laughs> and it was like, really? <laughs> you know? Well, Are you just mad you're not casting this thing? <laughs> so, now, Patrick, I have a question, an important question for you here. Um, we have your, your partner in crime, your boss, on the other line. Would you like to stay on the line while with Blaine for a while? Absolutely. If you'll have me, I'd love it. Okay. Ta- link him up, Brian. Blaine, are you there? Um, you can call me boss. That's what I like. Uh... Boss? <laughs> How are you? Well, I am fine, and you know your your underling, your employee, is on the other line too. Well, first of all, I'd just like to say I really respect you acknowledging the hierarchy here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how are you, Patrick? Day? Well, you know, I will always respect you, Blaine. I don't know if you were listening at the top of the show or if you even remember back to two thousand nine, but your little film, Weather Girl, mm-hmm. you. I don't remember if we spoke then or if I just reviewed the film, but you were in L.A. Film Festival that year, and Weather Girl was one of my, one of the films that made my opening day must-see festival films column. That's really awesome. I, I don't remember if we spoke either, but if we did, it was before you did that um, because that was a huge thing for us and, and helped, you know, helped so much. So thank you, uh, belatedly. And, of course, the review is still, you can, it's still up on my website. It's still out there, and it's in the archives of the Culver City Observer, too. But Fantastic. Oh, yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, and anytime I, I find directors and filmmakers, especially through L.A. Film Festival, because that was so early in your career, and, you know, these little films that need help and love, I mean, it has become a ritual now. Everybody, they clamor, are we going to make the must-see, are we going to make the must-see column? And it's like, you've got to be pretty special to make my opening day column. And well, that is, that's really awesome. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you kind of summed up basically what, what we've been doing for the last six months is these little movies, you know, they need the love, you know, and it's all about, you know, people like you and, you know, the, the following that we build on the festival circuit that really gets the word out there because, 
you know, e- even if we, you know, get some extra money to do the, the marketing, it's never going to be able to compete with what a studio can do. So it, it's all about, you know, people like you who are out there supporting us. And I, I thank you so much for it. Uh, you know, indie film is without independent film, there really wouldn't be a film industry because it cannot run just on tent poles alone. It, re- it, it really can't. And there is a market and there are moviegoers out there that crave more and want more than popcorn being fed to them. And that's what these, oh, little, that's what these little indies do. Now, i got to ask you, Blaine, since we got Patrick on the other line, I'm going to throw this out as a reverse question to both of you. Blaine, why did you want Patrick for the role of Travis? You know, and how was he? How was he as an employee? And Pat and, and Patrick, how was Blaine as a boss? Um, well, I'll, 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 I'll start Bradford. and just say that you know I I'd worked with Patrick. First of all, I've known Patrick since I was around eighteen years old. Like right when I moved to Los Angeles, the first acting class that I attended uh, was uh, the Young Actor Space, where, which uh, Patrick now runs and operates. But at the time, we were you know both just young actors in L.A. trying to figure it out. And, uh, and I've always respected his, uh, his talent. And then uh, about four years ago, I got cast in a movie called Favor, Opposite Patrick, which was pretty much a two-hander. It was just him and I for four weeks of shooting, nights, and we bonded, and I got to see what a great actor he was. And then um, I basically I wrote this part in Cut to the Chase specifically for him. So um, I think the, the the great thing about that is it's really hard to say no when somebody writes a part for you. So I kind of had him locked in just by guilt. <laughs> um, and, and, now, how does how does that make you feel, Patrick, to know that he wrote the part just for you? Was there guilt that made you say yes? <laughs> there was no there was there was no guilt at all. First of all, the fact that he wrote the part for me, I was nothing but humbled by and excited about. Um, but. Obviously, if I get a chance to work with Blaine, I'm going to run at that chance whenever I can because um, his work ethic is just incredible and his talent, you, well, you'll see when you go see the movie. Now, how was he as a boss, as a director? Fantastic. You know, I, I feel like Blaine and I speak the same language, you know, and when you're under the gun with something like a low-budget film, you really need people around you that do speak the same language because you can't accomplish what you try to accomplish in independent film without having a crew and a cast and a group of people that, that speaks the same language that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, Blaine, I'm curious, how beneficial is it for you as a director? I mean, you're writer, director, and you're also directing yourself and an entire cast of people. But how beneficial is it when you have somebody like Patrick on board who also is a director and has a better understanding of some of the trials and tribulations and the all the balls you're juggling well to me it's it's really invaluable you know i mean just to have that that shorthand that you have with someone who you've worked with before you know um but also like to to be able to discuss that aspect of it um i mean it's it's great and like the way that we kind of run the set is like you know, it's. I wouldn't say it's a flat-out open forum, but mm-hmm. um, I encourage actors or crew or whoever is there to 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 share what they're thinking. You know, and like my the big thing that we would say on the set all the time is that if you think something's wrong and you don't say it now, I don't want to hear about it in the editing room. 
You know? Sure. Now is the time, if you feel like something is going awry, to, to voice. And, um, you know, and that's, I mean, I, I, I say this all the time, that, like, when you get to build a team like this, when you're not forced into it by a studio or something like that, mm-hmm. you can really... Uh, you can really make sure that the quality control is there, and everything that Patrick adds as an actor, or that we discuss about his character or whatever, I get credit for at the end of the day. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a win-win. Yeah. <laughs> and what kind of perks do you get in return, Patrick? I mean, he gets to take the credit for your good ideas. What do you get? Well, I get to I get to bounce those good ideas off of him, and I get permission to um, hopefully use some of the ideas that I bring in. But uh, yeah, so I will I will take that as a win for me as well. <laughs> now you know this, this film. You know, Cut to the Chase has had a, an interesting journey. This started with a Kickstarter campaign. That's right. That's right. And now um, it, it it's a funny it's a funny process. I mean, it, like this movie was supposed to be. I was supposed to make another movie with, that I wrote with Paul Osborne, who directed Favor with Patrick and I, uh, like four years ago. And it was a, a, very, a bigger criminal-based, uh, like, heist movie. Um, and I tried to get the financing together for it for, since the six-month rule, which was six years ago. Mm-hmm. And it kept coming together and then falling apart. And, uh, and finally, I'm just like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to do something micro-budget. Like, what I experienced with Favor was the quality that you can get from such such little financing. So I set out to kind of make this movie specifically for the budget level, and I kick-started it, and we raised about $20,000. And then we had this other company that came in that was really interested in the script, and they matched our Kickstarter. And then I went out to, like, individuals, in mostly in Shreveport, Louisiana, which is where the film is set and where we shot it, and was able to raise a good deal more, so we got to around a hundred, hundred five thousand dollar budget level, uh, and the movie would grow exponentially. You know, um, so it, it worked out really well for us. Mm-hmm. You know, now where did the idea for this script come from, and and why would you put yourself through all that physical torture of all the stunt work? <laughs> well, initially, <laughs> the idea actually came from uh, the actress Erin Cahill who plays my sister in the film, mm-hmm. um, was in six-month rule, played a small supporting part in that. And that was the first time we'd worked together. And we just got on so well, and we had this real brother-sister kind of mentality. And I was like, uh, that day, I remember saying to her, I'm going to write something where you and I play brother and sister, because I think that would be something I would like to watch. And that was like where it all started from. It's like I've had this germ of an idea in my brain about doing something like that with Aaron, and uh, it just grew from there. And basically, the script itself was a reverse engineering of what I thought I could accomplish with a tiny budget. So mm-hmm. I wrote four actors that I knew could handle it. I wrote four locations that I knew we could attain. And, um, and then basically, the, the, the stunt work <laughs> was basically because I didn't want to risk anyone's life or limb other than my own. Um, <laughs> You know, when you're doing stunts on a low budget, there's a lot of risk. And uh, so I just kind of built it in that um, Max wins a fight and then gets beat up the whole rest of the film. (laughs) Oh, my God. So how much, you know, because, you know, Patrick, you and Blaine have, you know, a few very key, shall we say, physical scenes together. Um, How much preparation and how much 
rehearsal did you have for these choreographed stunts that Luke put together? Blaine, you want to take back on what? Yeah, just just what Patrick was saying in the last little segment that I got to listen to is that like you know you can prepare all day long and and you know we did our due diligence of like the fight was choreographed. Uh, we had looked at it, you know, at, at the stunt coordinator and uh, another stuntman going through the motion. So we had a vague idea of what it was going to be. But you can't really choreograph, you can't do the real homework on a movie of this budget until you have the location, until you can look and see where the camera's going to go, mm-hmm. you know, wh- where our lighting source can fit. Um, and so there was very little. It was very run and gun, the entire thing. And that takes... Uh, actors that are, are very willing to, to go with the flow. And, uh, I mean, our first day on film was Patrick and I, you know, working through that fight scene. Um, Patrick, do you want to talk about that a little bit? The big fight scene, yeah. And that, that was your first day of shooting was the fight scene. That's yeah, right. We land, I, I landed, and, and that was our first up. But, you know, Blaine was great because he had sent me footage of, I think it was you and Luke and Tim, right? Um, yeah, that's right. Do doing what was going to be the choreographed fight. And when I first saw it, I was like, Blaine, I don't, you know, can I pull this off? <laughs> you know, because those guys are not only professional, but they'd worked on it and stuff. And uh, so, but it was very beneficial to me to see kind of what I was getting involved in before I landed. And then once we got there, wasn't that, was that the first shot or was that, I, I think it was one of the first shots, yeah, of the day. Yeah, it was about, the about midway through the first day. That's right, Yeah. Oh um, my and god! It, luckily, it went off without a hitch. <laughs> yeah, well, now, I mean, we were very lucky to have the stunt coordinator that we did, and he like really elevated all everything. Because I mean, when you read in the script fight scene, you know that can mean so many different things, and it's really up it, up to the you know the production team of, of like what you're going to do. So, mm-hmm. they, like having that that pre video that we had discussed to know the the tone and like what kind of action is this? How far are we going with it? And like luckily these guys had pads galore and it took the concern of like elevating the project as well as taking care of us to uh to the the level it needed to be at. Mm-hmm. I, it, it, <laughs> you know, I find it really really fascinating that you started with a fight scene. I mean, is did you plan it this way so that Patrick would take better care of himself so as not to get hurt, so he could finish the movie and get paid? I feel like in in all sense, in in any size movie, you know, like the producer's or filmmaker's job is to be willing to pivot and improvise based on the situation in front of you. You know, it's like getting uh, the best movie finished, you know, often means putting out a fire, pivoting, being willing to, to go on the fly. And one of the issues we had with this movie was our, was our travel schedule. So we needed to bring in Patrick Day, uh, Aaron Cahill, and Lindy Greenwood. We needed to bring them all in from Los Angeles to Shreveport. And the way it worked out best, with us spending the least amount of money on hotels and whatnot, was to have Patrick in for two days, for three days, and the third day, Aaron comes in. So they have one little uh, Venn diagram where they work together. Mm-hmm. And then we go on and we have Lindy there for, or, sorry, Aaron there for three days, and then Lindy comes out, and they have one day that they share. But because of that, we needed that fight scene on day one. And uh, Boy, that <laughs> was, was risky. Like, it's not what we wanted, but it actually worked out quite well. Oh my! Well, do you, does that help set the tone though for the rest of the production when you start with something that high energy? 
Yeah. And I think absolutely. And you're so, going yeah. forward. You you want I mean uh, on any level movie you want your team to see what you're doing and get excited on day one and nothing is more exciting than that I mean and we I had never uh, fired a blank before in my life you know I've been to the gun range a couple of times in preparation for the movie just so I knew what it was going to feel like and whatnot but like the first time that I shot uh, a, a gun with a blank in it was towards Patrick Day in the towards the vague di- direction of Patrick Day. <laughs> Patrick, I'm, did- I'm glad you're I'm glad you're telling me that now, Blaine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was just going to ask you that, Patrick. Did you know this at the time? No, I, I, I did not know that at the time. But I will say that uh, you know, with stunts, we treat stunts just like we treat makeout scenes or something on a movie. Like you, you have to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse to make sure that everybody's comfortable. And as long as you identify beforehand, hey, look, this is what I'm cool with, this is what I'm not cool with, then you're free to play once you get in front of the camera. But you have to really, really make sure that nobody is hurt. Because obviously if one of us had gotten hurt in day one, that puts all of production on hold for a while. Mm -hmm. You know? (laughs) When we did Favor together, um, which was much more talky and much less, um, via, you know, there's much less violence in, in favor, but Patrick just got beat all the hell. Like, I think he broke his finger in my shirt, like, pu- pushing me off of him. Like, somehow my button breaks his finger, and, like, <laughs> I stab him, and the, the knife didn't retract enough, so he's got all these bruises on him. It was brutal. Uh, oh. I didn't do that to him in this movie. Okay. And- yeah, as, as violent as this movie looks, it was a lot easier on my body than favor was. But, you know, now i got to ask you then, Patrick, after enduring these hardships of favor being inflicted upon you by Blaine, <laughs> you, st- you still agreed to do a film with him again? <laughs> well, you know, I'm an actor, so masochism is part of what my makeup is. I guess. <laughs> and in, in all fairness, in this movie, uh, I think I'm the only person that, uh, really had injuries to report on a daily basis, like <laughs> like the, the just running uh, down downtown in a pair of cowboy boots for eight hours messed me up for like two months. <laughs> what would possess you to do that? You know, I just didn't think it through. Uh, just some some nice insoles would have been a good idea, but it didn't work out. I tell you, the worst hurt I got though, like there was there were all these days where I'm like, "There's something wrong with my leg. There's something wrong with my arm. I don't know what it is." But like, and, and it would kind of go away. We would ice it, and it's like the next day. I think the excitement and adrenaline of getting to do this kind of dream project would kind of take care of everything that ailed me. But the funny thing is, that it's and I think it's always like this. The one time you got. I got you get hurt is doing something banal and something you wouldn't even think. Oh, th- this is the least dangerous of things. But I get headbutt in the movie. Um, yes, by, you do. By, uh, Tim, who's one, you know a, a big stunt guy and total professional, but he headbutts me and I fall and hit the ground. And my stunt coordinator was like, "Well, do you want a back brace?" I'm like, "No, I'm just falling. You know, just, just I'm just doing a prat fall. It's no big deal." But, of course, I like to shoot a lot. So I would always say, one more, one more. So we end up doing it 12 times. And the next day I can barely stand up because of the fall. And I'm like, totally my fault. You know, not a big stunt at all. Oh but that's God. the one that I ended up carrying around with me for the rest of the movie. Well, now, I'm curious. You know, uh, on low-budget, no-budget films, as I like to call them, um, you gave yourself 12 takes of that headbutt scene? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I think, I think especially when the budget is lower, you know, um, and, you know, there are definitely filmmakers who disagree with me, but I shoot like crazy and I am infamous for being like, perfect. I love it. Let's do one more. Um, and <laughs> it's to the irritation of my crew and everything, but I've just seen its benefits in the, in the editing room. I've just seen that like something that you never thought would be a problem becomes a problem. And it's that seventh take that, you know, that problem is solved. Mm-hmm. So how beneficial is it to you to have a cinematographer on hand like Rob Senska? Oh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's everything. It's like, it's everything. Like there's so many moving parts in making the film, but like, uh, my, uh, my cinematographer and my editor, like it's a, the three of us are like the triumvirate of import and they have to bring with them a skill set that I lack in mm-hmm. order to make this movie, you know, excel. And I, I feel like each of us has our strong suit, but like, uh, Rob was able to take, uh, no money, um, of, of an incredibly brutal shooting schedule and a director who wants to do 12 takes and everything. And in the interim, he would be able to, like, make the, you know, keep the themes of this shoot going and the, the, the art- artistry of cinema, you know, alive. And he would always remind me of that. He's like, you want it to look cool or do you want it to, you know, be a handicam movie? And I'm like, all right, we'll take your time. Do it. Well, you know, um, but- so then how, how beneficial is because I know Rob and, and your editor, Chris Lyon, worked together before. Mm-hmm. So does that help? Because you already know they're going to have a shorthand together. Right. No, it, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, to be honest, like, I would say 80% of this team has worked with me before, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that those three, uh, the reason that this team started is because they had done micro-budget films in Shreveport before. They also worked on my movie Six Month Rule, and that's where our friendship and mutual respect came from, but... They knew what I wanted to do. They had experienced it. They had seen what what the, uh, um, I guess what the the minefield looks like, mm-hmm. and uh, are way more ready than I am to do something like this in that location. And like it was great. I mean, because the editor was on set the entire time and would be able to say what digital effects he can take care of later. This is going to be a problem cutting. Blah blah blah. And then my other producer, Mindy Bledsoe. She's part of that team as well and is always there watching monitor and, you know, just staying on point. Wow. But, you know, and you have a beautiful look to this film, Blaine. Um, You really put, you and Rob put a lot of attention to the flashback sequences as Max is going through this hunt to find his sister who's now missing. Um, The the flashbacks, you went with that denatured tint. Mm-hmm. That's right. As opposed to a sepia washout, this looks so beautiful. It, when in comparison with the in real life footage, which is very saturated and rich, right. you know, absolutely. How, and, I'm curious, how, you know, what led you to make what led you and Rob to make that decision to go with that look? Well, you know, we. We wanted the. We knew exactly what we wanted the world to look like. That saturated, almost like graphic novel-ish, you know, red neon, you know, in mm-hmm. the bars and smoke in every take. And you know, we knew what we wanted our world to look like, but we weren't really sure what we wanted the flashbacks to look like. And you know, the, the film uh, is structured like a, a hard-boiled detective novel, where mm-hmm. you know we follow clues to try to find the girl, but. In the interim, we're having flashbacks of that relationship. So you only really meet um, 
Isabel, the sister, and see the relationship between her and Max in these flashbacks. So it became really important in the editing room to make those um, nice, lovely moments separate from the violent world that's happening. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how we came across the, uh, the kind of blue washout. And it just seemed more comfortable if that makes sense and, it, and it, home, very you know? much it's not jarring and so many so many directors want to do, go with that sepia look or you know a yellowy or ochre kind of wash and that really harkens to more like a vintage so it totally takes you out of the film but this as you said it is a very comfortable warm feeling you know it's like painting a you know a baby's bedroom blue because it's comforting right. And that's exactly right. what this does. It I doesn't jar you. It's his safe place. You know, when he thinks of Isabel, that's, you know, it's the only thing he says in the film, the only thing good about him is her. And, mm. uh, and we wanted to express that visually as well as, you know, of course, with the scenes. You know, now we're almost out of time here. So I've got to ask both of you, at the end of the day, having made this film, having made Cut to the Chase, what did each of you take away from the experience that you're not going to take with you? into future projects. Patrick, you take it first. Yeah, Blaine has uh, to think. Yeah, that's a, wow. <laughs> that yeah, I'm I did that. going to take with me into the rest of the, into the next film? Yeah. Is that what, yeah. Boy, I don't know. I, I can't, I, I've got no complaints in terms of what we did. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It was one of the easiest shoots I've ever been on. And uh, I think that's a huge surprise when you consider the, the, the budget and the restrictions that we had, but everybody just lined up. Everybody wanted to be there. And uh, as a director, I feel like every other project, there's some point where I have to convince somebody that I know what I'm doing, you know, mm-hmm. that like, it's going to be okay. Trust me, go with me on this. You know, uh, I, I'm not going to let you down. And in this film, I never had to do that at all. Uh, so it, it's, it's tough to be like, what were the, what were the lessons? <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess the lesson would be, if I could, I would just demand that we shoot more in Shreveport. He nice. loved it there, man. He had a big old time, and everybody loved Patrick. I did. Man. <laughs> I did. So, so what is what is the, if you had to pick one thing, the best part of being in Shreveport to film, what would it be? It would be the people, the people, and how open and giving they were when we were working. You know that that would hands down be it. Oh. They, they were so excited, and I just did a, a, a screening there. Like, we opened in New York uh, last week on t- Tuesday, I think, and then we opened in Shreveport on Friday, and now we're opening in L.A. tonight. But, like, the people in Shreveport are so excited about the movie and, like, coming out and feeling a part of it. And I think, like, it goes from everything to just seeing their their local uh buildings and stuff in the movie and us referring to them as what they actually are instead of pretending they're somewhere else. But also, like, feeling like they were a part of it, you know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a team. Like, some people yeah. would bring food to us so we didn't have to spend money Aww. on catering, you know. And um, people would pick up actors at the airport. I, Patrick had a, like, really early flight out the, not too long ago, and uh, my childhood friend's parents drove him to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's one reason to go back to where you grew up, tap everybody and say, I need help. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Don't ruin my secret, okay? But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much a good reason right there. Oh, my God. So, now, tonight is the premiere here in, in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. When, and it's got, you've got, what, a one-week run here in L.A.? Yeah, something like that. Something it, it, like that. One week. 
And then, uh, and then tomorrow, Tuesday, March 7th, we that's, open on VOD iTunes nationwide. That's, that's the date that I love to hear, when it's opening so that everybody, it's available to everyone. And it's, that's, it's so exciting to have it out there. And like the, the, the truth is, is that like right now, you can go to CutsTheChaseFilm.com and pre-order it on iTunes. And uh, what you were saying at the beginning of the interview about, you know, the the aid that you know people who love independent film can can give us that would be it that if, is if you want to support it pre-order it on itunes it comes out tomorrow we want to get our numbers up as high as we can so that itunes recognizes us and and you know promotes us yep guys we are now out of time i can't thank you enough will you both come back is- on the show again anytime absolutely and thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Oh, you guys are a dream. And cut to the chase. You know, let's just cut to the chase. It is a fun film, and people will love watching it. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I'll talk Have to you soon. Bye bye. And that was Patrick Day and Blaine Weaver. Cut to the chase. Premiere is tonight in LA. It drops everywhere on iTunes and VOD tomorrow. See it. Check it out. Uh, that's all the time we have today. Next week, we're going to pick up with some more of Dolph Lundgren. We'll hear from William Paul Young talking about the shack and uh, a few other things. So until then, this is Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias. Mm-hmm.